Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with William Sankey, CEO and head of product and co-founder of Northspire, a proactive intelligence platform that's raised over $32 million in funding. William, thanks for chatting with me today. Brett, thanks so much for uh, having me on to talk to you and your Category Visionary audience. No problem. Super excited chat. And before we dive into the company, we always like to begin with just a few questions to better understand, you know, who you are as a founder and as a leader. So can you just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, definitely. So I'm William. I am the co-founder here at Norspire. And, you know, just quick synopsis is that we are, I like to call us a proactive intelligence technology that allows real estate developers to leverage advanced technologies like automation and data to deliver complex building projects and construction projects in a more predictable, repeatable, easier fashion, as opposed to the old way where people use a lot of error-prone spreadsheets and, and things like that. So that's what we do today. I guess I mentioned that because I come from the traditional side of the real estate development industry. And I guess the built environment has been, you know, how places get built, how cities get built has really always been very central to my interest and focus. Even, you know, if I were to go all the way back to my teen years in school, I was a bit of a tech nerd, but also like a real estate and and city nerd even back then. I like to say like things started around that time where I was uh, involved in a lot of these like nerdy competitions around like doing architectural models and computer-aided drawings of buildings and things like that. And so I think that really parlayed itself, you know, to me going to college and studying architecture. So again, I was very focused on like, how do you build better places? How do you build a better world, better city, right? And so I studied architecture, really love studying architecture, pretty passionate about it. But one of the things I thought in terms of just like a career and profession was that for me, it was a little bit too focused on the design aspect of the environment. And I thought, you know, there's just so many other factors that come into play to making a great place. And so, you know, at the time it was in the middle of the Great Recession back 2008, 2009. And if you were around back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of great jobs for people that studied architecture, right? There wasn't a lot of building happening. And so I went right to grad school where I studied urban planning and real estate development. So this is me still very curious and interested in how places get built, but broadening into beyond like the design aspect and more focused on some of these other aspects. How do capital markets impact what gets built? What are some of the economic underlying currents that impact things, the social aspect. And so that was sort of urban planning aspect, but then also the real estate development side of things, which is just how do you get things done? I didn't want to just be someone that had dreams or ideas or plans, but I wanted to really be about execution and action. And I felt like real estate developers were often the people on the front lines of having to execute on how do you build places and cities and buildings. So I studied real estate development. And uh, when I left grad school, I went into working in real estate development in New York City, where 
you know, I had an awesome opportunity to work on all types of incredible projects, whether it was building, helping to build sports arenas. It was building like hundreds of units of rental housing or condo buildings as well. And even doing um, converting historic warehouses into neat office retail opportunities, like in the Brooklyn Navy Yard in the South Bronx. So a lot of different types of projects I had a chance to work on that gave me a lot of visibility into how the industry worked from the front lines. And it gave me a lot of exposure, which you know, eventually led to Northfire, which I'm happy to talk a lot more about how Northfire happened and the origin. But I'll pause there, Brent, um, and see if there's anything else there. A couple of other questions that we like to ask. And the first one here is just going to be, is there a specific CEO that you really admire? And if so, who is it? And what do you admire about them? Oh, that's, that's such a tough question because there are so many great founders and entrepreneurs out there. And I admire a lot of them, like a lot of them. I think, you know, maybe if I'm like answering that question, I can look at maybe two different directions. I think on the more personal side of things, I grew up in a family that had, you know, my broader family had three entrepreneurs, including my dad, right? And so I had, a, and you know, one of those entrepreneurs was also my uncle who ran an urban planning or real estate development company. So, you know, that really opened my eyes to how things got built. So, and also just like, not just companies, but also the built environment, right? And I got a chance to see the ups and downs up close. I got a chance to see how they took ideas and their vision and tried to enact it. And so I got to see that up close and it was pretty inspiring to me at the time. And so I like to say on a personal note, like I really admire those entrepreneurs, right? Like, uh, but on a more well-known basis, right? You know, I look around, there's just so many incredible inspirational entrepreneurs. Northfire, we're a SaaS technology. So you always think about Mark Benioff, the godfather of SaaS, right? But I think maybe one person I'll, I'll lean into a little bit, which you know, I think a lot of people might think about and probably are impacted every day by is, you know, Jeff Bezos and what he's able to accomplish with Amazon. You know, when I look at Amazon and how it came to be the Amazon we know today, what I really liked was the boldness and the ambition. Even back in the early days, right in the mid 90s, when Amazon was getting started, when they were shipping books to our houses, used books even, right? And it, you know, it started with this simple idea that was this wedge that allowed it to really power itself into like being that e-commerce, being this like the world's largest cloud service provider and so many more things, right? And it all started like with this small concept, but the ambition was always there, right? They called themselves Amazon for a reason. And so, you know, I really love that, that it started small, but they incrementally worked towards leveraging like their success at each successive space into something greater, right? For this greater mission. And they're still at it today. And it's so impactful now that you can ask for anything in the palm of your hand and get it delivered to you sometimes the same day now. And that is remarkable. And when I look at what we're doing at Northspire, I like to hope that one day we'll look back 20 years from now, we'll say, you know, Northspire, they look like on the outside, just a company that was selling software to real estate development companies. But, you know, like they leverage that into something even greater, right? Like not that that is not a great purpose, that is a that is a massive purpose in the world's largest industry, right? Like how the built environment gets built and giving them software to do that in an easier fashion. But we have a lot of ambitions, which I'm happy to talk about, which I hope that will fulfill those ambitions in the same way Amazon uh, has grown and Jeff Bezos really grew that company. So that is my longest answer to that, Brett. Nice. I love it. 
And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder and leader? And this can be a classic business book or just a book that really influenced how you personally view the world. Sure, sure. I think if we think about like business books, it's sort of like founders, right? It's like a lot of great ones out there. And, you know, over the years, you spend so much time, you pick up a lot of great, like what I'll call like cannibal startup books. You think of things, whether it is like reading books by like Dale Carnegie about how to sell things to people, or whether it is, you know, the good old classic, The Lean Startup by Eric Rice, or or more recently, one that I enjoyed reading is called The Cold Start Problem by Andrew Chan over at Andreessen Horowitz, which really sort of dives a little bit more into leveraging network effects and taking things from zero to something massive using network effects, right? And I think, you know, all these books like very influential, but maybe if I were to go like a slightly different direction, and I think you mentioned trying to like get a little bit into how I think, so maybe you can interpret this. But I think sometimes I really like to read about like strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think two books that come to mind, uh, one is sort of a well-known Chinese classic, The Art of War by uh, Sun Tzu, which is really a treatise on the lessons learned from conducting uh, warfare and strategy, which is is interesting, right? And then I think there's a, another book I think about sort of in that general genre of strategy and historical things, which is more of a historical nonfiction called The Battle Cry of Freedom by James Pat Pearson, which really chronicles a lot of the American Civil War and some of the strategies around it. And I guess I, I mentioned those books because I think I think some of the key takeaways that are really intriguing about those books is that they apply a lot of these strategies and thought processes around like, how do you look at your competitive landscape? How do you look at what is happening in the environment around you and come out on top, right? And I think, you know, if you're running a startup in a competitive environment or any technology company, I think there's a lot to think about there, right? Like, you know, if you're thinking about the art of war, right? Like one of the quotes I like to pull from that book sometimes is the battle was often won before it's ever fought. So, you know, it, that's the, really the critical importance of planning. And having a plan that you can execute on is so important to everything you do. Definitely applies to what we do in a startup, right? In a technology company. But on the other hand, I think of, you know, the other book I mentioned, Battle Cry of Freedom about the Civil War, which, you know, the converse may be that like sometimes planning too much, sometimes it's better to be fast than to have the best laid plan. And so while you're laying your most meticulous plan, you might be disrupted or defeated by a smaller, faster, more nimble competitor. So, you know, as a startup founder, I think it's, these are the types of things that like, you know, we think about a lot in a startup environment, right? Like these are books about strategy, but they are also very applicable to how you think about building a company. So I hope that's a fair way to answer that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one follow-up question then, just on the topic of urban planning. Have you read the book, The Power Broker, Robert Moses in the Fall of New York? Yes, yeah, I mean, that's uh, definitely a classic. Do you recommend reading it? I have it in front of me. Um, I've had multiple friends recommend it, and I ordered it the other day, and it's like... It's a long book. Yeah, it's a long book. It's ambitious, Brad, if you're... Uh, you got it's a fantastic book. I would say, yes, I recommend it. Um, if you are dipping your toe into reading about City, so it is, uh, it is, you're diving into the deep end for sure. <laughs> nice. All right. I'll circle back after I make it through these uh, 1300 pages and I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> let, let me know. Sounds good. Sounds good. 
All right. So that was super helpful context. And I think that gives us just, you know, a better idea of really who you are a little bit there. So let's switch gears now and let's talk about the origin story. So can you take me back to the early days of North Spire and what really prompted you to say, all right, this is it. I'm going to start a company around this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think, you know, while I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and building things, I don't think I was someone that ever thought, you know, if you were to go back, I don't know, 15 years ago, I probably would not have imagined I'd be in a technology company, right? That wasn't a career ambition of mine by any means. The way things came to be, you know, the way Norspire can be the origin behind that is, you know, like I mentioned, I started my career on the traditional side of the real estate development industry, building all types of products in New York. One of the first projects I had a chance to work on, I was pretty fortunate. You know, I mentioned that I came into the industry during the Great Recession wherein there just weren't a lot of like projects being built. And I was fortunate to get a job on a pretty iconic project. They were doing a billion-dollar expansion and renovation of Madison Square Garden Arena in New York, and I was the assistant to the project executive there. So, you know, what was interesting about that point in time was that because there weren't that many projects being built in New York, like that team that they pulled together to work on the project was sort of like a dream team of sorts, right? Like people that typically may have been building like the new Yankee Stadium or building a new terminal at JFK Airport or retrofitting the Empire State Building. Those, you know, there weren't many projects. So they had all come together and they were working on this project. And I was sort of an assistant, lowly assistant, sort of uh, mired in spreadsheets and crunching numbers to help them do their jobs effectively. But it was a great observation perch to see how a lot of the best, it was a great observation perch to see how a lot of the best people in the industry went about delivering complex projects. Now, one thing I noticed was that these people are the very best at what they do, some of the very best in the industry, but they spend a lot of their time doing a lot of tedious administrative work, and they spend a lot of their time reconciling discrepancies and spreadsheets to try to get information. A lot of that flowed down to me and the role I was in, where sometimes we would spend two months digging through 16,000 points of information and data that had come in to try to understand what was happening on the project and make a decision about how to move forward. But the problem with the human doing that job was that by the time I crunched those 16,000 data points and reconciled it to make sure it's accurate, that information was now two months old, right? So you have teams using two-month-old information to make decisions about where their project is going to be 12, 18, 24 months in the future, which is sort of an inherently like backwards way of running anything. So, you know, I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. This is one of the best projects in the city with an all-star cast. Is that how it's done all over the industry? And so, you know, I, had, I was fortunate to have a chance a few years later. I went to work for a couple other developers in New York, one a family firm by a really iconic developer in New York where we built incredible like, like condo buildings. And then I had a chance to work with some really smart whiz finance guys, uh, private equity guys that started a real estate development arm on their, their PE firm. And I guess I thought to myself, you know, all these companies look completely different on the outside, but on the inside, in terms of how products deliver, everybody was leveraging convoluted error-prone spreadsheets. Everybody was spending 30 to 50% of their time doing low-value administrative work. And I thought, you know, at some point, there probably might be a robot that does some of this because this could be better. I probably should learn to code. So... You know, I, it was mostly to future-proof myself just in case I, you know, me and my number crunching ended up being out of a job. And I, I started learning to code by night. 
So I like to say, you know, I, I took these software development classes at night a lot for several years, three, four years. So I was a software developer by night, real estate developer by day. And I guess, you know, over time, I built a little tool to help me like automate little parts of my day job as a real estate developer. And what that really grew into over time was, I think, some ideas and thoughts about how you can really be able to take certain data points and do something pretty transformative across the industry. So one of the things that I built was a prototype across some of those ideas. And a much smarter guy than me, my co-founder, Mark Newport, who was a brilliant engineer, he took this sort of prototype I built, he turned it into something that was very graceful. He built in a lot of like advanced technologies like automation. And, you know, we have this great tool for how you run projects now. Instead of using a spreadsheet, you can leverage something that was proactive, served to proactive insights, but also eliminate it, like even the need to do things like data entry, right? And so it felt neat but it wasn't really validated by the market until, you know, we were pretty fortunate. We started as a bootstrap company. And maybe three months in, our first customer was the Museum of Art and Art, the MoMA in New York. They were doing a $400 million expansion and renovation. And we really, you know, it was sort of a structural bluff. They were working on this project, a fantastic lady there, Jean Sabisky, who's the director of real estate. We got in front of her and we said, hey, look at this prototype. Like, would you be willing to pay us to use this? And, you know, Jean, incredibly open-minded, a visionary in her own right. She'd done a lot of great projects in New York City. And she said, you know, I was just getting ready to hire a couple people because this project is pretty massive. It's difficult for me to wrangle everything. But you know what? Like, I'll give this a shot. And if it doesn't work, I'll hire those people. Right. And she gave us a shot and we were off to the races. It was now we had a prototype and we actually had a paying customer. And I like to say, like, that was the beginning of the real Norse fire. Nice. That's amazing. And you'd mentioned there that you know, the industry relies on just a lot of manual tasks and work. Why do you think that is? Why does the industry just accept that? And why has the industry been slow to embrace and adopt new technology, would you say? Yeah. I think you look across the entire economy, right? Over time, a lot of technology is coming to all these different verticals, right? And I think, unfortunately, real estate development has, you know, been on the tail end of that transition. And I think part of the reason is just because real estate is, you know, delivering a complex real estate project. One, it is very complicated and requires a lot of unique domain expertise. So it's the type of thing that I do think, you know, like there are a lot of insanely brilliant like technologists in places like Silicon Valley. But this was a difficult challenge to tackle, not because they couldn't build technology, but because it took a lot of understanding around like what is really important to real estate development? What do they really need to be able to accomplish and do? And like, what are the critical pieces of data that you need to achieve this, right? Those are things that like, unless you're very much in the weeds, how things work is hard to see. So I think one, there just weren't many great solutions being put in front of the industry in the first place. You know, you have people still leveraging spreadsheets, you know, to manage $200 million, right? And that was, that is the standard today. It was the standard when we started North Fire and it was the standard going back to the 90s, right? Probably the biggest change to the industry has been the advent of email, right? Like email was great, but there's there was so much more to do. So I think like, you know, we were fortunate. You know, I had the real estate expertise 
I married that with a brilliant technologist. And then I think that's something that's in our DNA as a company is we always try to hire a lot of real estate professionals. So if you look at our company today, we have quite a few people on our staff, like a lot of people on our staff that have actual hands-on experience running and delivering projects. They really get it. They, don't, they haven't just like done a few user interviews. They've lived, lived it and walked the walk. And so I do think that allow us to be able to translate the problems into a very graceful, easy-to-use solution for the industry. And I think that's why this we've become like this early category leader in the space in a way that, you know, a space that was stagnant in the past. And I can get more into that if you like me to, Brett. Yeah, I have to imagine that, you know, the made for developers by developers, that has to be very impactful. And I don't know if it's the case in you know, this industry, but what I've seen in a lot of other industries is you have, you know, two 20-year-old kids out of Stanford who say, this market's right for disruption. We're going to go disrupt it. And they don't come from the industry. They don't understand the ins and outs and how the industry works, but they go out and you know, try to tackle this problem. So are you seeing that at all? Are there any other you know, like young startups that are coming in or popping up that are trying to also disrupt this market? Or what does that competitive landscape look like? Yeah. So, you know, we've been around almost six years now in Northspire. And, you know, in that time, you know, we started in New York City and quickly branched out to Boston. So we're pretty New York and Boston centric. And today, you know, we operate in every major city across the U.S. and a lot of like secondary and tertiary markets, whether, you know, we're building products in Montana and Iowa, all over the country. And so, you know, I think we were fortunate in some ways that when we entered this space, we were competing against Excel, which is, you know, a fantastic product and an extremely sticky product, very difficult to disrupt Excel, right? And I think like we were sort of on the front line of trying to, to show people a new way, sort of enact behavioral change as well and show people the possibilities of leveraging technology like automation, data analytics, even artificial intelligence and machine learning to deliver projects, right? And so like we we're fortunate there because this industry was set up in uh, this fashion I was describing about needing a lot of domain expertise to sort of even be in the conversation. I think there weren't many other entrants in the space. And I, you know, I think one funny thing is that like, it was also a space that like people were wary of, you know, I'm sometimes embarrassed to say this, Brett, but we're a company that were, you know, my co-founder, we were ejected like twice by Y Combinator. And, you know, it was back before it was obvious that like vertical SaaS was going to exist in every major industry. But it, even like very smart technologies looked at the space and said, ooh, you know what? Those people, they're pretty wedded to the spread. It's like good, good technology, but I'm not going to touch that, right? And so I think like, you know, as we've sort of proven out that like, yes, there is definitely a desire, you know, real estate developers, people that build our cities, they are people that want their lives to be easier. They want to be better at their jobs as well. They have started to shift over to leveraging technologies like Morspire. And I think as we've had a lot of growth and raised a few rounds of funding, you've definitely had a few smaller companies make that observation and have tried to enter the space. Most times, people without real estate development, like hands-on experience, which I think has, you know, I think like, you know, that's always a bit of our competitive advantage that we have. But, you know, I think the great thing for the entire industry is that like, now they have options and solutions out there. In the past, there was nothing. So I'm excited what the future holds for North Fair, but also just like, you know, this is such a big industry. There's room for companies to come in and be part of that conversation. And we're excited about it. Amazing. I love it. 
And are there any numbers that you can share that just demonstrate some of that traction and adoption that you're seeing with customers? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it'll be six years in May. And, you know, I'll say like the first two years of North Star's existence, again, we were mostly bootstrapped. So we were iterating on that that check we got once a quarter from the Momo, which kept us alive, that and some ramen noodles for a long time while we continued to like iterate on the product. And I think what was interesting was that like, we sort of reached a point where we sort of built a lot of core functionality. We listened a lot to the MoMA and some other customers we picked up along the way. And I think we got to this point of product market fit, probably heading into late 2018 and into early 2019. And, you know, if you look at that year, we had sort of an explosive year from like just steady, steady, like bootstrapping along to like a bit of explosive growth in 2019. And it was off to the races. So, you know, if you look at from that point, you know, in 2020, we raised our Series A right before the pandemic started with Craft Ventures. Um, mm-hmm. Saw, you know, believed in this space. And I like to say that, you know, despite the pandemic and all the disruption in the world, you know, since that point in time, we've grown revenue more than 10x. And again, we have customers now not only in New York City, but in every major city in the U.S. We've completed and ran over more than like 2,000 projects across the country, uh, more than $125 billion of projects. So, you know, it's, it's a massive industry, right? Like there's almost $2 trillion of projects a year. But we are by far like out front as sort of the early category leader in, in sort of bringing these technologies to the space. And I think that amount of traction is not, uh, I like to hope that it's not a coincidence or a fluke, but that like the industry now is basically following the path that a lot of other sophisticated knowledge-based industries have followed, which is they have yeah, smart people. They look for tools that help them be better, more effective, make more money at what they do. And they adopt those tools. And now real estate development, they have that ability to do the same. And we're there. So I'm pretty happy with the traction uh, we've received. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's, yeah, that's so incredible. Now let's talk about challenges. So I'm sure along this journey of building the company, you may have dealt with one or two challenges along the way. So if we had to pick one challenge that you experienced and overcame, what would that challenge be and how did you overcome it? Yeah, you know, like every stage of the company, there are really very different challenges, right? You know, we were bootstrapped in the beginning. So, you know, where you're bootstrapped, the challenge is staying alive and everything you do is to get another dollar in the door so that you can stay alive to fight another day, right? Like, you know, there were challenges where I remember the one time we ever missed payroll. We are almost out of money. We had $700 in our company bank account. And then we got paid by a customer, $40,000 check came in and we were like, ooh, we're alive for a few more months, right? And so, you know, those type of challenges very different in how you operate. Everything you do, every new feature you roll out, it must be about like, can it like lead to more revenue immediately to stay alive? I think if you zoom back out, like today, the challenges are, are different, right? I think we clearly have a product that the market has started to adopt. And, you know, if you go on our website, like we have customers that are willing to get on camera and say, like, more is giving me new confidence in how I deliver projects or like, you know, you must be crazy if you're not using Norspire. And I'm always super humble by seeing people say those things about our company because we definitely started out very scrappy. And I would say the challenge now, the greatest challenge is how do you take that initial traction where we have a couple hundred developers using Northfire across the country, but there's 
over 20,000 developers in the U.S. And then they work with every one of those developers works with hundreds of vendors, right? Architects, surveyors, lighting designers, construction companies, right? How do you leverage this position we're in and grow that and scale that into something even more massive? And I think the challenge today is a lot around how do you transition from a go-to-market that was built around one where, you know, I can personally tell a lot of the storage, one where we can do this at scale in every single month. We can add as many customers that, you know, it took us like two years to add like in early days. And that's a, that's a huge challenge that we're figuring out today, the pains, the growing pains of how do you do that in a way that's like great for our customers. Because I do think customer delight is at the core of everything we want to do and believe in. It's like, you know, like we personally feel like bad if something doesn't go like really well for a customer, right? And so like, how do you deliver? How do you scale cup delight? for like our customers, but also how do you do that in a way that you stay at the forefront and you do it with a team that, you know, you don't want to burn out your team. You want your team to be happy and fulfilled. And I think everybody on our team is pretty passionate about what they're doing, but how do we always say the very best at giving customers delight? Well, at the same time, rolling out like features like every week, we're really fast. How do you balance all of that and keep scaling to infinity? So that is the challenge that we are in the midst of. And I hopefully I could tell you the answer to that in a few years if we get it right, Brett. Amazing. Well, we're almost up on time. So our last question for today is going to be about vision and, and what the future is going to look like. So can you try to paint a picture for us? Let's say three to five years from today, what do you hope the company looks like and what's that impact overall on customers? Yeah, yeah. It's always exciting to step back because day-to-day or you're very much like in the weeds, whether you are looking at, you know, passages of code that the engineers are writing, or you are on customer success calls, working with customers directly, right? You're sort of in the weeds day to day, like delivering that experience, hopefully bringing delight to customers. And I think if we could step back and we could say, well, where do we hope things will be in three to five years? I do think that fundamentally what we're doing is transforming the way people build our cities, right? Like, you know, you look at what we're doing today is we give them software that allows them to eliminate like that 30, 40% of low value administrative work. That was taking a lot of mind share effort from leaders on real estate projects, right? And so if you think about that, like if we could take 30 to 40% of your manpower back and mental effort in your job and reapply that towards value creation, towards strategic decision-making, what can you do with that? I mean, the easy answer, right? Like you probably can run more projects. You probably can get better returns and make more money. But I think the more powerful things that I think really drive me and our team are that like these people can focus on building better places, building better cities, right? Like, you know, if you think about project delivery, like a city is the collection of spaces that somebody thought about really hard about. Someone had to finance some hundreds of vendors probably worked on it. The ones that are obvious, like, architects, but people that you may not think about like surveyors or even door hardware consultants, right? Like, and there's this a bit like conducting an orchestra, right? That process. And the end result is usually some type of space, right? One in a city that is either unpleasant for people or unaffordable for people, or one that is extraordinary, a place where you want to be, a place that you can afford to be, that you, you know, that is environmentally sustainable to be. And the hope is if you can people's focus off of this sort of, again, a sort of burden of like the tedium of low value administrative work. What do you do when you get that like time back? 
And I think what we're seeing a lot of teams do is they're just building better projects. They're making cities better. And I think they're doing it in a more predictable, repeatable fashion. And I like to mention the repeatable, predictable fashion because in this era and period where, you know, there's a lot of talk about like how expensive housing is, and that is really a problem to solve our generation, right? Is this issue of like the cost of housing. And, you know, there's a lot of inputs into that. So, you know, Northfire, we can't solve every input into that. But one of the reasons that's also difficult is just like every project is a little bit unpredictable in how it gets delivered, right? Projects take so long to happen. You know, it can take three to six years to deliver a project. And so you could think about all the things that could go wrong in that process just from executing on delivering a project. When you're working on, you know, on average with like 250 vendors, right? Like all these vendors have to be in lockstep. All their costs have to line up. Unexpected things might happen. How do you stay ahead of those? How do you get proactive alerts? That is what a tool like Northstar allows people to do today, right? Is we're not only like cloud 1.0 bringing this stuff into the cloud so that it's visible in real time, but we're also combing through the data proactively, looking for early warnings, alerts, proactive intel that helps you to just make smarter, faster decisions. So you can then focus on that sort of high value, building better places that create more value, but hopefully that creates more profit, right? So, you know, I'm thinking about like, what's the future hold? Mm -hmm. Maybe the future is better places because we made it very predictable, but also like more affordable because you take that like risk out of project delivery that goes into like building housing, right? You have to pay investors back. The more risky it is, the more investor premium. So I think that's like on the, you know, that's the city like visionary in me speaking. And I think like what we do at the root of that's like, how do we be impactful in that fashion? As a company, I hope five years from now that, you know, we're in the early category of the year today. I hope mm-hmm. that we are, in a lot of ways, I admire companies like Proport, what they were able to accomplish with on the construction side, right? Like now they are sort of like the, the default technology that people use if you're a general contractor. I hope that we're in that position, but that we're leveraging that platform that we've built to do these other incredibly ambitious things around data, which just two days ago, where we unveiled a new product, where we combed across $125 billion of project data. And now we're not only helping to execute on projects, but we're giving you market data into what things might cost in different markets and help you to understand the risks around your core assumptions. So that, you know, two reasons projects go over budget. One is execution report. We can fix that. We can help you fix that with the product as it exists. But with data, around the market that we're going to feed back to you. We can also help you make the right assumptions because the other reason is the budget was wrong to start with. We can help you make right assumptions about what the budget should be, what vendors you are working with, because we know hundreds of vendors and we know what they charge. We know which vendors bid low and then hit you with a lot of changes. We're indexing all that data. So if you think about that, there's some really neat things for UpTube. I probably can't say too much more than that, but I think hopefully you'll think Five years from now, wow, didn't see that coming from Norspire. I thought they just sold software. <laughs> Amazing. Well, that's super exciting stuff, William. And I'd love to keep you on and keep asking you questions here. But unfortunately, we do have to wrap. So before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? Definitely. We are at Norspire. So, you know, www.norspire.com. Uh, that's Spire like on top of a building, except with a Y, S-P-Y-R-E. Dot com, so Norspire.com. And you, you know, oftentimes uh, we produce a blog at Norspire, you know, Norspire.com slash blog. 
And some of those articles I actually get pretty hands-on with. So if you want to stay in touch and how I think and correspond a little bit, uh, check out our blog and uh, shoot me a LinkedIn message occasionally. Awesome. William, thank you so much for taking the time to come on, share your story and talk about everything that you're building here. It's super, super interesting and super exciting and look forward to follow along with your journey as you execute and make this happen. Thank you so much, Brett. And thank you to the Category Visionaries audience. I appreciate it spending time with you today. Amazing. Keep in touch. Take care. You too. Take care.